I'm Rob Skinner, and this is the Rob Skinner Podcast. Today, I talked to Chris and Amy Schwarzenberger, who lead the church in Spokane, Washington. Chris and Amy share about losing Amy's dad to suicide her senior year of college, facing mental health crises, and living with an ongoing mental health condition. Amy's near-death experience delivering her third child, and how they've managed to adjust and grow through their challenges and trauma together while serving God in the ministry. All this and more on the Rob Skinner Podcast. Welcome back to the Rob Skinner Podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no regrets life, make this life count, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. I'm here with my my wife, Pam Skinner. Baby, welcome to the program. Oh, thanks. It's great to be here. And I am really thrilled about today's program because this next couple, we know from way back. Yeah, we do. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like uh, having Takeshi and and Manami on on the program or... People that we've, of course, we've known quite a few people over the years, but this couple's really special. Mm-hmm. They and, are. And they're, they're family. They, they really are like mm-hmm. family. Yeah. And it's Chris and Amy Schwarzenberger. And they, um, when, when I planted, when we planted that church in Ashland, Oregon, self-supporting, remember the church was so tiny. It was just first started seven with us. People. And it had it, seven people. I know we had like seven or eight people just yes. there. And we're like, Hey, we need help on campus. We need like an intern. Yeah. You said we needed to raise $14,000 <laughs> when there were seven people in the church for a campus minister. And we all thought, Oh my gosh, I know it. And it, it was wow. just like, how are we going to do this? And, and, and at the same time, who's going to want to take like, <laughs> That's all we had. We just had a little bit of pocket change, right. basically. And we're like, we, we need somebody great. And 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 yet, I don't know how it worked out. I think we were at a conference or something. And this young man said, I'd be willing to come to, to, to Ashland. And I mean, first of all, he's willing to come to Ashland. No one even knew where Ashland was back right. in the day. Mm-hmm. It was like it's a little tiny town of 20,000 people. And yet he came down and he turned that place upside down. Yeah, he did. I mean, I was selling real estate, but he was working on campus um, in the campus ministry at a tiny little college called Southern Oregon University. Mm -hmm. And I mean, he just tore it up. I mean, it was great. I mean, there was another guy that came for the summer. His name was Nate Bigby. He Mm -hmm. leads a church in Corpus Christi, which was awesome. And he did a great job. But Chris came also and then stayed and it's just such a cool story. I don't want to, I don't want to steal the thunder, but I think the thing that inspires me the most about Chris, I mean, there's a lot of things that inspire me is his level of sacrifice for mm-hmm. the kingdom. Yeah. I mean, he got barely any money it, at times. There was barely a place to stay. Mm-hmm. And yet he was so determined to, to serve God. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I'm, just thankful so much for the impact he's had just on our kids, our family. Oh my God. Cause not only the campus, but he worked with the youth, you know, he remember he worked at Starbucks. And so like half the town knew who he was I know and it. Um, I know it. just those activities. I mean, I know he could share about it, but yeah, it, all the, 
the activities that he did with the youth was really, really powerful. I know it. Absolutely. So I'm looking forward to talking to him. Yeah, me too. uh, It's, you know, it's just been really an exciting fall, but I'm looking forward to talking to Chris and Amy. Chris and Amy, welcome to the program. Hey, guys. It's good to be here. Thanks for having us. I know it. I know it. Just sitting there going, wow, it's, it's, it's amazing. But let me just ask you guys this question. How'd you become Christians? Well, uh, I was baptized in uh, October 2003. Uh, I was a college senior at Eastern Washington University. I got met my junior year and I uh, was part of a tiny campus ministry. Actually, it was a mission team. It had been a year old at the time huh. uh, when I got baptized. And I think I was the second guy. I was baptized in that campus ministry. So I was just kind of wandering through life, uh, working in, on campus, you know, getting a degree in business, and uh, I was just lost. Um, it was probably some of the most unhappy times in my life were right before I got met. And it was ironic because I showed up to church that first Sunday. It was an Easter Sunday. And I looked around. I recognized the two people who had invited me. But then I recognized like five or six other people in this church of 20. <laughs> And I had a night class with one guy, four other people had reached out to me on campus. I had met somebody at Hastings, this store I used to work at. I'm like, I think God's out to get me because half this church has invited me to church and there's only 20 of them. Um, (laughs) I never stopped. That was uh, in 2003 and I never stopped going to the church and um, I got baptized in October uh, after studying the Bible and and kind of building some great relationships. So uh, that's kind of where I was at when I became a Christian. Wow. Um, yeah, so I, um, grew up kind of going to church my whole life was raised in a, you know, God fearing home. And, um, but I, you know, always, I don't know, I always wanted to, you know, be in the in crowd. And so probably through high school and, um, early college, I, uh, just got into partying and, you know, boyfriends and all that stuff. So I was definitely like a party girl. And then, um, after my freshman year of college, I was at Southern Oregon University. Um, I I just got really depressed one summer and I was like, this life is really empty. I didn't feel like this is how I wanted to live my life. You know, I saw my parents and was like, oh, they have a happy marriage. I want, you know, what they have. And so um, I started kind of going to a lot of different groups on campus. When I went back to school, I became an RA. And um Uh, just, you know, saw honestly, just a lot of hypocrisy on campus, like people that would go to, you know, whatever their youth group or their campus group, and then would be partying and swearing. And I was like, I'm really trying to change my life. And so I was frustrated by that. And then it was the summer going into my junior year that, um, a girl was sharing, she was, you know, inviting my friend, kind of one of my old party friends to a Bible talk. And she was like this friend was like, Hey, why don't you talk to Amy about that? She's kind of more into like Christian stuff. So why don't you talk to her and just kind of passed her off on me. And uh, her name was Heidi Townsend. And she invited me out to Bible talk and I almost didn't go, but then I did like, and I was like, yeah, no, I said I was going to go. So I need to go. So I went and then started studying the Bible. And I think when I studied the Bible, I was just so impacted by the honesty and the realness with people being honest about their sin I don't think anyone, even though I'd grown up going to church, had really spelled out what sin was. And so I was really convicted when I saw my own sin. And then obviously understanding, you know, about God's grace through that, like that I could be forgiven for all those terrible things I felt guilty and ashamed about. 
And so, um, yeah, anyways, I definitely had a hard time realizing that I needed to get baptized, but <laughs> luckily I humbled out and was like, I can't deny that all these scriptures are in here about baptism. So even if I feel prideful about this, like I need to get baptized. So yeah, I got baptized in August of um, 2006 and uh, yeah, it's been, you know, wild journey, but so grateful that, you know, God plucked me out of the world. Wow. That's awesome. And that, that was in Ashland, Ashland, yep. Oregon. Okay. Why did you choose Southern Oregon University? <laughs> it was the farthest away I could get from home without <laughs> having to pay out-of-state tuition. <laughs> I love that. That's just, yep. that, see, Be that honest. just shows where I was yep. at. Yep. Like, how do I escape my right. parents <laughs> at that time? My mom ever listened to this? Sorry, mom. Yeah, but, honest uh, and real. Honest and real. <laughs> That's always been your hallmark, Amy. That's yeah. for sure. No, okay. So, this, I mean, this kind of all converges because it all, it all connects. I mean, just, it's crazy. But, uh, Chris, you... And like I shared in the introduction, you really had a burning desire to be in the ministry and you made some big, big sacrifices. What was driving you? And can you talk a little bit about those early days and how you got into the ministry and why? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it was trying to figure out what was driving me back then uh, was probably just like a feeling of it, insignificance in my career. I graduated in 04. I'd been a Christian for a year. And I led a campus Bible talk after I graduated and then uh, finally kind of moved on to leading a singles group and was working a full-time job. But I found myself, you know, I was being successful in my career. You know, I advanced from like entry level to national director of marketing by that third year I was with the company and things were going really well, but I just felt like my mind was always on ministry stuff. And so I'd be working at work, but I'd be writing Bible talk ideas. <laughs> you know, calling people or writing stuff down. I'm like, what am I doing with myself? Like, I'm good at this, but it's not uh, really as fulfilling as ministry. And and you kind of mentioned it in, in the open, or, or we had talked about it before, that in 2005, 2006, there weren't a lot of opportunities for ministry. Right. And especially for somebody like me, I'd been two or three years out of school. It wasn't like I was a campus intern, you know, who was still taking classes. I, I was in my career. And um, so I had a shot through Seattle's church. Uh, Alex Whitaker put on an M&M program, Ministry of Missions, and was sending college students all over the place during the summer. And that's how Nate and and Heidi and uh, Jen got sent down to Ashland. And I, I just asked them, like, hey, can I go too? I'll take my two weeks vacation, see if I can get a couple weeks of sabbatical, if you'll if you'll have me. And my bosses let me go. Um, I found out when I got back, they actually had a couple of discussions whether or not they needed to keep me and fire me while I was on sabbatical. But uh, <laughs> but God kind of crafted a, a plan. So I was there in Ashland for that one month in uh, 2006 uh, and had a great time. We tried to share our faith and go out and, you know, Amy got baptized. It was, it was a really enriching time. And then I went home and thought, well, that was it. That was my shot. And it was almost a year to the day that Rob called me. And, you know, I was just working my job, leading the singles ministry. Our singles ministry was growing and it was healthy and it was exciting to have a great singles ministry where we had to kick college students out of our singles events because they were sneaking away from college events to come hang out with us. <laughs> I love that. Uh, campus wants to be singles. That's a good, that's a good place. Um, and then Rob called me on like a, like a, I think a Monday and said, Hey, we're looking to hire somebody would be interested. Uh, would you want to interview? And I got some advice and I'm, I think I've, bought my plane ticket on Tuesday. 
I flew down on a Friday, uh, met with the church and preached on a Sunday, flew back and quit my job on a Monday. Um, wow. I think it was a seven day turnaround. And uh, I just was driven. I felt like this was a shot and an opportunity that wasn't going to come along uh, anywhere else. And, um, you know, I really was confident God was with me when I told my parents and my dad was supportive um, to quit my job to move out of the home that I bought six months earlier um, and move down that I just, um, I thought this was, this is it. This is my shot to try ministry and I got to take it. Um, I was not as well aware of the financial stipulations. uh, (laughs) uh, Those discussions came afterwards. Small prints in the contract. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I put my, my fairly well-paying a corporate job. And uh, <laughs> luckily they kept me on for like six or seven months uh, to kind of finish out the preparatory work for the next season. And so I was able to work and, and do ministry. Uh, but then I remember that the time where I was, you know, where that ended and I was just fully reliant on the, uh, the money that was raised every special mission. So, um, you know, it's funny because you mentioned the word sacrifice. It didn't seem like sacrifice. It just seemed, um, desirable. I, I think if you're looking for sacrifice, you're looking for the wrong place. If you're looking to be fulfilled and you just can't help but do something, that's where God really meets you mm. at the road. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I just kind of always said it like the guy I'm looking for is the guy that I was, the guy who's willing to sleep on a floor and just do it for the sake of doing it. Um, I think <laughs> yeah. that's where it's really at. It's Chris, true. I, I remember that first weekend you came down, not, not the first ever weekend, but when you came down to interview and to preach and we were meeting at lithia park and you know we get we were all circled around in our lawn chairs beautiful i mean that's just one a beautiful place there and you did such an amazing job everyone was talking about like this guy can really preach and i remember the excitement yes yeah the church was so thrilled and i mean i think the thing that i really respect is when i look back on that time chris i don't I I mean, you didn't complain. I mean, I know you lived in the church building, but there was just such a joy and such a passion that you had about the ministry. And it was so refreshing to have you preach. And it was just, it was the perfect situation because you you needed somebody that you could train, but also somebody who was super talented already. And Chris, Chris is a great preacher. I, I, I mean, I can't, it's a little fuzzy to me, but I think at the time there'd been a leadership change. And, and so there was, you you know, it was it was a great opportunity for you to make a change to come down into to come to Ashland, which was great. Now, you stayed in a in an apartment for a while. I remember that you're in like a fourplex, and that was that was fine. It was you know okay, but then okay, you you <laughs> let's talk a little bit about this. You ended up there was a period of time you were staying in the church building. Can you talk a little bit about that? <laughs> The, uh, the Chris Schwarzenberger Memorial Room. That's that right. On, uh, East Main. Um, yeah. So like I said, I was working and so I could afford rent and then I stopped working and luckily a brother from Seattle moved down for three months. And so I could still afford rent. But then when he moved back, I, I couldn't afford rent on my, uh, my ministry money. And I didn't want to be, the ministry was just starting to take root. And I was like, I don't want to get a job. It's going to distract and so I remember the moment Rob and I were driving back, I think from, from Amy's dad's memorial, we we're driving back from Portland. We we're talking about what are we going to do? Where am I going to live? What am I? And uh, I think it was in a Mexican restaurant. We both went, 
you could live in the church building. I mean, it was almost one of those moments where it's like simultaneously like, this is the greatest idea ever. Um, I don't think, I don't think Pam and the other ladies thought it was the greatest idea ever. They were thinking logistics. Uh, for the listener, there was no shower. Uh, there was a bathroom and a kitchen, uh, but I had to walk uh, two miles to the YMCA to shower. Uh, got in good shape because, you know, it's awkward walking into a YMCA, showering and walking right back out. They, they definitely look the front desk. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that was an adventure, but it created space. It created a time uh, for me just to focus on ministry and not have a second job, you know, and I feel like God blessed that. I was crammed in a little, you know, you know, six by 12 room and um and just lived there. I mean, I, I remember I had to get cut off on cooking on Wednesdays and Sundays because the, there was no ventilation in the kitchen. So the, whatever I cooked, everybody smelled. So uh, no eggs, no fish, uh, just, just no cooking. I was basically told no cooking on Wednesdays or Sundays. Uh, so I fasted a lot. It was great. Uh, oh my gosh. The scariest moment was when I woke up to the entire Ashland's fire department in the in the parking lot. And I was pretty sure we weren't permitted to have me live there. Right. Uh, no. I'm looking out no. my window and the entire fire department was there and they were control. I thought the building was on fire, but they were control burning the old parsonage next door. <laughs> and I'm like, what do I do? I'm not supposed to be here. Like, so like I got dressed and like dressed as professionally as I could. So it looked like I'd been working early and I just walked out the front door, waved to him and just walked down the road and didn't look back. And, uh, it was a creepy old building, it but was. I feel like God blessed it. It was a great time. I know. I just really respected that. I mean, it was, it was a kind of a home. I think the, the former church members, it was a Baptist church and they had built it themselves. It was kind of like a home project. So it had some weaknesses. I remember one time we came back from a, spring camping trip to the coast and we came back and we opened up the front door and just water rushed out because the whole place was flooded i mean we just yeah I think that happened once or twice could have happened twice i can't remember it exactly twice. but it we got twice. new carpet we got new carpet we from did that get new carpet yes and uh <laughs> but you're staying there i mean it yeah. was spooky at mm-hmm. night i mean i remember you telling me there were like drug deals going down behind the building after yeah. <laughs> there was nothing. It was like an empty lot behind and an empty lot to the side and then a, a highway with one house. I mean, there was nobody. It was very <laughs> creepy and silent and things happened in the parking lot. You'd see headlights come in and go out. Uh, I think I blocked a lot out of that memory. I'm having a little trauma now. I, know. I just <laughs> I remember I remember you would definitely go over and and, and spend time with my my parent my in-laws. And, oh yeah, uh, I had to do I had to do laundry at Dave and Jackie's. <laughs> we would uh, watch CSI or whatever show. Oh yeah, yes. Right in the middle of the couch and have a bowl of ice cream and fold my laundry. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, yeah it was a humbling time. Yeah. Anybody else for I, some basic food. I appreciate your heart yes. and, and level of sacrifice. Yeah, and I, I want to talk more more about um, about that early ministry period, but let's. Let's switch and talk a little bit about Amy. Okay. Did you want to talk about how they met or is that? Okay. Yeah. Oh, of course I missed. Thank yeah. you, baby. Yeah. I mean, that's, woo-woo. Well, the sparks were flying. I'll, I'll, I'll lead in and drop the first bomb and then let Amy take it from there. But I was actually dating Heidi when she baptized Amy the year before. Right. And, uh, Drama. And so mm-hmm. There's always that weird, like you know, uh, stipulation people made a bigger deal of, but yeah, I moved back and, um, uh, it's a joke, but it was two sisters in the entire church 
that I could date. Yeah. No sisters yeah. for four or five hours in any direction. And, um, and, uh, so fell for Amy pretty quick. We became best friends. Uh, people call them weasel dates, but when you're in a campus ministry of three, it's just called campus events. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and when the church is 10, it's just called church. It's not a weasel date anymore. You're the only people in the same age demographic. Uh, but we had a great time and, uh, I remember it was probably like February. Uh, we were on a Rob and Pam and I were going to a leadership retreat, and it, I call it the uh, Pam Skinner "Why Amy Is the Most Amazing Woman in the World" uh, car ride. <laughs> Literally two hours of Pam telling me all the highlights. It was like ESPN top ten. <laughs> and, uh, I was convinced after that. So that was kind of my perspective, but Amy. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I think you know I. You know, it's cool just even thinking back of like, you know, your guys' perspective on like hiring Chris, but um, me and Sandra, my best friend, who also became a Christian the same summer, um, we went to the Boston Campus Ministry Conference, and we uh, were so inspired by campus ministries growing after that, that we both started praying and fasting once a week that we would have a guy come or like get baptized or somebody that could kind of like actually make us have like a campus ministry that wasn't just a couple girls and so then it was super encouraging when you know they had Chris come down and my secret prayer was also like and you know could he be someone that I could date wow. <laughs> so that was like I didn't tell Sandra that part I was like this is my little selfish prayer, God. <laughs> yes we're praying for a campus leader uh maybe I could date him though that'd be great <laughs> Yeah, uh, he looked around and had two options. Yeah. I had zero at the time. There was no brothers around. So we had to like drive to Seattle to go on, you know, encouragement dates. So um, anyways, yeah, so then Chris came down and it was just the three of us hanging out all the time. So me and Chris became really close. Uh, yeah, there was definitely weasel dates, you know. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's saying there wasn't weasel dates, but they're definitely weasel dates. You know, my first leaders meeting kind of blew up and uh, he had to like, you know, talk me off a cliff. Like, this isn't what leadership is always like. We had burrito. So that was like a good, you know, hour and a half weasel that was, date. That was just good leadership. <laughs> that was like not my first like traumatic leadership meeting. And I think Rob and Pam remember that meeting. Oh, yes. Oh, we, yeah. I'm like, this is Amy's first experience of a leader's meeting. Mm -hmm. like, yeah. Go debrief because she may not come back. Like, <laughs> she might be the end of it. So that's, nice, oh, that's nice right. Yeah. Okay. As, as I recall, are you referring that we had yes. like a, like a, almost a church split. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, mm -hmm. opening yeah. accusations that started that church split. Oh, my Yeah. Yep. Welcome to leadership. Right. Sure. Amy was there for the first time. We're like, really want this? Yeah. So yeah. anyways, yeah. So we spent a lot of time together and then, yeah, I think it was always a little awkward because he had dated my friend, you know, in the world that's like a no, no, you don't date your friends, you know, ex boyfriend or whatever. Right. So that was kind of like a hindrance, I think for me to like get over that. And I think, um, you know, he liked me. And then I was like, I don't know about this. And then actually it's always, <laughs> I always joke that it was my jealousy. He started liking somebody else. And then I was like really upset. Mm -hmm. And then it really kind of revealed how I felt about him because I was really upset. He started liking somebody else. So that's when Pam intervened and gave him the, the Amy Schwarzenberger or Amy Campbell at the mm -hmm. time, yep. uh, yep. you know, 10 points. Yep. So, 
<laughs> but um, yeah, so then, um, yeah, then yeah, we started dating shortly. When did you get? When did that. you guys start dating? When what? When was this? It was March of two thousand eight. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Okay, so because you got engaged on the camping trip, right? <clears throat> Is that true? It wasn't, oh yeah, it wasn't. We had our whirlwind of. Uh, we always tell our campus students like, "Hey, just because we dated for three months and we're engaged for three months doesn't mean right. that's always like the best idea." Right. It worked right. for us. And it worked for us. <laughs> well, it's, well, yeah, it's, it worked for you guys too. So it does yeah. work, but it, it, like maybe you could slow down just a little bit. <laughs> but I think it's, it was one of those things where you're looking at your life through a lens of, of ministry, just want to do stuff for God. And that was it. It was like, all right, we're engaged. Like we got to get married before school starts or on Christmas break. Cause we can't get married during school. We can't take a honeymoon no, no, during no. The campus. Right. <laughs> so, right. So that's that's one of the reasons why everything was yeah. probably expedited a little bit was yeah. uh, we had to get yeah. married, have a honeymoon before uh, kickoff to fall campus. You know, so <laughs> yeah. uh, it was a great time, and you know, it's uh, it, this is one of the reasons why I think you know the Skinners and Schwarzenbergers are so intimately woven together. Was you know Pam was orchestrating our love love life and uh, bringing us together and helping us have clarity to what we were really feeling, and we're indebted. I mean, our our marriage is you know been guided by you guys at that opening stage and it was really really important yeah Aww. thank you it was about a month in that i was like yeah i want to marry him yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, let's can we move oh, this along yeah, let's date and i was like oh yeah okay i'll marry him <laughs> <laughs> that was such it was such a special time it was. now for those who are not familiar with the geography because you're talking about having to go up and date in seattle can you talk a little bit about where Ashland is in relation to other places and talk a little bit about kind of the geography because that plays a, yeah. a big part. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So now the church meets that meets there is now in Medford, but um, Ashland Medford area is eight hours away from Seattle. At that time, there was no kind of cooperating church in Portland. So Portland would have been five hours <clears throat> there was now there's somewhere in Bend, you know, there's all these kind of right. little house churches now, but back then Ashland was the only church in Oregon that was part of our cooperating churches. Yeah. So yeah, we had to drive either five hours to Sacramento, which we didn't have a lot of connections to the Sacramento church at that time, but we had driven there a couple of times just to hang out with other young people and then, um, but yeah, we would drive up to Seattle every once in a while and, you know, just like try to soak up as much time. Me and, me and my best friend would like come back. We're like crying. <laughs> we're leaving because we're like, it's just the two of us out here. We're like so discouraged, <laughs> you know, just yeah. like we really wanted to be, have a, you know, exciting campus ministry to be part of. So it was really yeah. hard to yeah. just be the two of us. Especially yeah. that year before Chris came. Yeah. Because then it started to feel like, okay, we're actually gaining some momentum before it was like, you're just hanging on to Jesus. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. Yes. <laughs> well, Amy, I remember when you, when you got met and you started coming out and I was so thrilled. Mm -hmm. I know, I know Pam was of course oh, too, because yeah. I thought this girl's amazing. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you, I just immediately thought this girl, so talented. Yeah. So, so bright, so bright. Mm -hmm. I mean, just loaded with talent. In, in so many different ways. And it, I mean, we were all thrilled, but you face some really massive challenges as a young Christian. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think the first one <laughs> came about like uh, three days after I got baptized 
is that I went and studied abroad and everyone was like, don't do it. You know, it's going to be so hard spiritually, but I'm a stubborn person that has to learn from my mistakes. And so I did go study abroad and there was a church in, I went to Toluca, Mexico. There was a church there, but it was really hard to get there. I had to take a taxi everywhere. So it was really hard to stay connected. There wasn't really a lot of young people in the church there either. Um, so I really struggled spiritually. I pretty much at one point just stopped going to church altogether um, and just kind of fell back into some of my own, you know, worldly patterns. <clears throat> and so, um, but my best friend Sandra came and visited me over Christmas break and yeah, I was doing terribly and, you know, kind of trying to play it off like I wasn't doing so terribly, but I was. Um, but when I came back after, because I studied abroad for four months, when I came back, Sandra basically, she like kidnapped me into yeah. the midweek. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that, that exactly. Uh, that's that's what happened. happened. Mm-hmm. I was like, uh, she's like, hey, why don't you just come to midweek? Everyone wants to see you. And I was, you know, feeling embarrassed because I wasn't being very spiritual at the time. And I was like, oh, I don't know. And she's like, no, 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 just come. Everyone's so excited to see you. And I was like, uh, okay. So then she, you know, dragged me out. And I think at that point, like, once I was part, like back in the fellowship, I kind of like everything came flooding back to me. Like, yeah, this is what I wanted. This is the life I wanted. This community is what I want to be part of. All these people are so genuine. And so I think I was like that night, I was like confessing all my sin. I was like, yeah, okay. This is where I'm at. I'm really struggling, not doing well. And, um, you know, people were so graceful with Mm -hmm. me. I think that's something I really appreciate. It wasn't like, everybody coming down on me, like you're in sin, you know, it's like, people were like, Hey, you know, we can figure this out. Let's pace ourselves. You know, you don't need to figure everything out night one. Um, and so I feel like the grace that I was given was really helpful to like, you know, not feeling like even worse about where I was at spiritually. So that was really helpful. Mm. Um, so that was, you know, one challenge, <clears throat> as a young Christian. And then, so, so, um, okay. Each, you got baptized oh, yeah, in the sun. When did you get baptized? August 23rd, 2006. Okay. So you immediately went, she went. Yeah. yeah it was like, yeah, it was, it was like yeah, three yeah. days later. I, I was know. Like going home and okay. flying to Mexico. We, we made it uh, strong pitches, but yeah, yeah. Like she said, Nope, <laughs> wasn't happening. So, okay. Yep. And then she was going to oh. yeah, keep sharing. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so I was able to come back from that. You know, I think I like swore off guys. I was like, Nope, not going to date. Don't even want to think about guys for like a year. Cause I had dated a non-Christian for a while. And I was like, Nope, not even going to date. Not even think about it. <laughs> I mean, I look back and I'm like, I, you know, whatever I did like a makeup fast. I was like, I don't want anyone to look at me. I don't want, <laughs> you know, so I was like trying to do whatever I could to like, just be like, no, there's, guys are not in the picture. Um, and so, yeah. And then, you know, me and Chris started dating. Um, but you know, it's kind of woven into that. Chris briefly shared, he was coming back from my dad's memorial. So, um, yeah, 2008 in February, my dad, um, died. He actually, um, committed suicide, which was really shocking and devastating to our family. Um, you know, I think sometimes people think about suicide and think like, somebody like looks like the super depressed person or like it would seem really obvious that there's somebody who would do that. But with my dad, it wasn't that way. He was really loved God, was a really good father. You know, um, 2008 was just a really bad economic time and he was a small business owner. So he was just really struggling financially and just Mm -hmm. didn't feel like, you know, he had a way out. 
Um, so, you know, that was just devastating. I mean, I remember, um, it was actually Robin Pam, you know, I, <clears throat> it was after church one Sunday and, um, Rob and Pam were like, Hey, come over to our house. We really need to talk to you about something. I'm thinking, Oh man, what I do, I screwed up. I'm like getting <laughs> discipled on something, you know, they're, they're going to lay me out. I did something wrong. And, you know, then to have my brother call me and say, Amy, you know, dad committed suicide. It was just devastating. Like I just couldn't even wrap my brain around that. Um, so, you know, so encouraging that Pam drove up with me and took me home to be with my family that I'd have to be alone during that time. Um, but it was like, right. The whole thing is our dating relationship kind of wrapped up like here. I'm like literally thinking, you know, Chris is going to, I'm pretty sure we're going to start dating. You know, you can kind of like get a feel for like, I, you know, we like each other now we're probably going to start dating, but, um, yeah, he was going to ask me to be his girlfriend like that Monday. We actually, I had just had picked up all the stuff at a Michael's in Eugene, yeah. like all the stuff for the, the, to ask her. And we literally unbeknownst crossed paths on I-5. Yeah. I was driving back from Seattle and she was driving up to Portland. We, we didn't even know it, but we crossed paths. That's yeah. how close it was. So yeah, he was, you know, going to ask me, but then, you know, this happened. And so I was, you know, kind of calling him, trying to get a hold of him. His phone had died, wasn't able to get a hold of him, but um, you know, so then he didn't ask me right then, but he did come up and visit my family, which was really encouraging. Cause I think we were just all so devastated and heartbroken and just, I mean, we're just depressed, you know, it was just such a hard time for our family. And so for Chris to be able to come up and kind of be a bright spot and to be like a light in that really dark place was really helpful. And I think, it did kind of fast forward our relationship a little bit, you know, because yeah. I'm going through something really intense. And then, you know, he was going to like, wait to ask me to be his mm. girlfriend, but then it was like, you know, you're practically dating already. So you just might as well date. So, but I think that really fast forwarded our relationship. It's like, this is like the worst thing I've ever went through in my life, you know, and he's having to kind of walk through it with me. Um, so I was really grateful, you know, he was so, you know, kind and loving to my family and mm. just really helped and served us during that time. And I think, you know, it just made me, you know, fall for him even more. So. Right. So Amy, yeah, I remember when I got the call from your brother, it was after church and I mm -hmm. think you guys, had, you and Sandra and other girls were like, had gone off to the mall or something shopping in Medford and, and your brother said, Hey, you know, this is what happened. And we, we called you and you came over. I just, I was like, Oh, I just dreaded talking, you know, just, I mean, we didn't tell you what happened, but we just handed the phone to you, to you and your brother. But, um, how, how do you, I mean, your dad was a spiritual person. He was a churchgoer, your dad and your mom. I mean, they were like act super active in their church. And, you know, like you said, and it, when you just said that, I forgot that that was 2008. I mean, only now in retrospect, I realized that how big, I mean, that was the, the real estate recession. I'm just a massive, I didn't right. realize it was connected financially. How did you just make sense of it? I mean, I know mm -hmm. it just, how, how do you deal with something like that from something so unexpected? Right. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, I mean, yeah, it was a lot of praying and crying really. <laughs> like I just, yeah, I prayed and cried a lot, you know, I journaled. Um, had a lot of, you know, friends involved and talked about it a lot, but I think one of the things that 
like kept me encouraged a was our dating relationship like at least there was like one positive thing going mm. on in my life you know <laughs> it's my senior year of college so it was really stressful too and my mom was like really dead set on me going back and finishing rather than like being with the family which was really hard because you know every time I would go back and be home with my family I'm like oh yeah you know it just was different you know and so but, you know, we had been doing campus ministry and um, we were studying the Bible with two girls, um, you know, Danny Hart at the time and um, Caleb Bordelazzo. Oh, my gosh. With them. So, wow. Um, yeah. We, you know, I think honestly, like, you know, Kayla was kind of getting to the, you know, pinnacle of her studies. And um, I think just being able to even focus on something outside of what was going on because it was just so depressing mm -hmm. was helpful to go like, okay, God's still like working in people's lives, you know, in spite of, you know, all these challenges that I'm going through, um, you know, God's still good. He's still working in people's lives. And I think that helped me to like, just see outside of my situation. Um, you know, I obviously, you know, I did end up going to counseling after a while when we were engaged, you know, went to some counseling and that was really helpful just to process the grief. Cause I was just, it was so hard to like stop and really focus on it right? because I was in my senior year, you know, it was just busy. We were dating, we were engaged, you know, so it was just a lot going on. Yeah. Um, so I think the counseling really did help me like stop and process the grief um, that I had, you know, been experiencing and had a summer before, you know, we got married to like work on that a little mm -hmm. bit, but, you know, I really struggled, you know, I was really close to my dad and, um, you know, just, you know, when I look at like what my relationship, I'm so grateful for my relationship with my mom now, but back then I was way closer to my dad than I was with my mom. So I just kind of felt like the parent that I was, closest to, you know, was just gone and, you know, just felt so abandoned. So I really struggled. Um, I went on a mission trip and ended up having like a big major mental health crisis while I was there. I think the stress of everything just hit me all at once. I wasn't sleeping well and yeah, had a big mental health crisis, had to go home, had to spend time with my family, which was actually really healing because I hadn't been able to like spend a good amount of time with them since my dad had died mm. just to even process like this is what life looks like as my family because in my brain it was still like oh you know mom and dad live here you know even though obviously I knew he was gone it was just I hadn't had time to really process this is our new normal mm. yeah um, my mom was living with my sister so I went and um, spent time and stayed with my sister for a few weeks and um, went to counseling and um, <clears throat> yeah it was a really, really challenging time. You know, I felt like, yeah, why, you know, it's all those questions. Why is God allowing this to happen? You know, why is this, you know, all those questions that you have, but I think, um, you know, I really trust that my dad really loved God and knowing that God was going to like, he was in God's hands, you right. know, regardless, like, mm -hmm. I didn't have to worry about it or feel like I need to, you know, figure out where he was or where he stood before God. You know, I always um, really learned to entrust like people's souls to God. Like it's not my job to try to figure out, you know, I can't see in people's hearts. Right. Only God can do that. And so I think 
um, really entrusted that to him and was really like felt the peace about that. So thanks for sharing that. Wow. I mean, it's true. You, you've gone through, you, you know, just, it's reminded me just how much you've overcome as, as a young woman. It's yeah, it's really impressive. And, you know, going along with that, you know, Amy, I mean, you're in, you're in the ministry, you're married, you have three children, you guys are leading a church uh, in Spokane, Washington. And so maybe you could keep sharing a little bit about how, how have you managed to maintain your mental health, do the work of the ministry and, and raise a family? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I kind of mentioned kind of that first mental health crisis that I had in 2008 um, and then had a few, several other ones like over the years. Like when you say a mental health crisis, can you, can you describe what, what you went through? Yeah. So um, I, it came like insomnia, anxiety. Um, You know, I can share what I got diagnosed with finally, but that wasn't until 2017. Um, but yeah, I would get really bad insomnia and get so anxious that I couldn't sleep. And so I could go like a few days without like barely sleeping at all. And so it was just miserable, um, and felt, you know, like anxious and depressed at the same time. And then not being able to like get rest to kind of recuperate. So, um, so yeah, that was like what it would be. It would be like insomnia, you know, with really bad anxiety and just, you know, mentally spiraling, just like negative thoughts, just couldn't get out of it. Um, so yeah, struggled with that and didn't really know, you know, went off and on to counseling, didn't really know like what it was. We just kind of thought maybe it's anxiety and depression. And then in 2017, you know, I had a major episode and, um, got diagnosed with bipolar disorder. It's bipolar disorder type two, which tends towards more towards depression than, like the mania. So that's why it was always kind of seen as anxiety, depression, because you're more likely to have the lows than you are to like experience those they call, you know, manias or, um, high episodes. So, um, finally got diagnosed and like, even though it was discouraging, cause you're like, Oh, I don't want to have a major mental health, like regardless of whether I had a diagnosis or not, I was experiencing those things. So in some ways it was a relief to go, okay, now I know what we're dealing with so we can treat it. Um, and so was able to get on some medications It, you know, there was some, I didn't have a great prescriber at the time. So, you know, it was like trying to figure out and navigate with just a primary health care and they should have referred me to somebody that knew what they were doing, but they didn't. And so, yeah, we just went through a lot of ups and downs Mm -hmm. of like trying to figure out what medications I need that would keep me like in a good place. Um, So we did finally kind of find that balance, but, you know, I had to, I had to spend a few nights in a mental health hospital, which was like really humbling and scary and terrible, but I also like really needed that help. And so I was able to um, get, you know, finally sit down with a psychiatrist and then they were able to refer me to somebody outside to continue to prescribe, you know, medication that I need. So, um, yeah, so that was 2017. That was really, really, you know, challenging time. Um, at that time I had to step out of the ministry because I was like, I need to focus on my mental health 
I can't kind of balance all of this with like this new diagnosis and trying to figure out this medication. I just was really struggling. So I had to step out of the ministry. Um, so <clears throat> yeah, 2017. And then, um, yeah, then I was able to get on a medication that was helpful. You know, I had a counselor that had been kind of walking with me through this process and really helping me. And she was instrumental in just, you know, helping me to get the help that I needed and had kind of just been with me before and then afterwards. Um, so um, that was really like a really important piece to like finding stability was the medication and then having a mental health, um, you know, counselor to help me like process like everything that I was going through. It was super scary. Um, and so, yeah, I think, you know, that's been what, five years um, ever since I kind of figured out the medication piece, you know, there's always like little, when you have bipolar disorder, there can be like little dips of like, oh, I, you know, feel a little more down or a little more energetic, but have been able to really keep really stable since then, which I feel really blessed. And I pray about it regularly, like, you know, every day is a gift that I'm able to, you know, feel like myself and feel like I'm able to, you know, take care of my kids and take care of, you know, my husband and, you know, be able to be present and be able to, you know, be healthy in a way that I hadn't been able to be. Cause it was always just kind of like, you didn't know when those would, yeah. when those episodes huh. would come and then you just, everything would get just thrown into just chaos. Yeah. So Amy, I've just got to ask, and I know I, I got your permission before this the um, interview here, but can you, can you share how your, your dad passed away? Yeah. So, um, he actually jumped off a bridge, which, um, you know, there was eyewitnesses that saw that happen. Um, but I think that was a, you know, we never found he jumped off a bridge and I think it fed into the Columbia river, which is a huge river. Um, they never found his body. So I think that was a huge just piece, like a missing piece of the grief puzzle, if that makes sense, like to never kind of have that closure. You know, obviously I didn't, I mean, it's, I think it'd be traumatic to watch it happen, but I think there's a part of you that would process it better if there was a body or, you know, some sort of physical evidence, you know? And so I think that was like a big kind of missing piece right. that was really hard with all of us, you know, grieving to never have, you know. Oh my experience. gosh. Yeah. Well, Chris, you were, okay. This was, this was all happening during your dating, you know, pre-dating, dating engagement. I mean, this is all ma massive crisis. How, tell me what was going through your mind at the time? This is the summer of 2008, right? Uh, February is when he passed. Okay. Yeah, he passed in February. We started dating in March. We got engaged in May. Um, <clears throat> I think throughout our entire relationship, there's been, you know, some sort of uh, just life and trauma woven through, and and um, we've we've become pretty good at navigating it. <laughs> um, Gosh, it's not something you want to be good at. We're hardy, hardy people. Um, <laughs> but I just remember. First of all, kind of going, where's God in this? This is not the fairy tale. This is not the narrative that I that I had written. 
And so there's a lot of kind of just searching for that for, for Amy and for me, uh, where God was at. And then when she came back from that mission trip, we were already engaged. We were three or four weeks away from being married and it was challenging. Like, what do we do? How do we move forward? And I remember getting lots of advice and counsel. I remember sitting on the hill just above uh, SOU. And I think I called every evangelist, every elder. Uh, th- I mean, I could ask advice in the church, but there were only like 12 people. <laughs> and <laughs> they'd probably give you like, 12 different answers. Yeah, yeah they were mostly college. <laughs> right. like, I wasn't, you know, <laughs> hey, how would you handle getting married during this crisis? And <laughs> yeah. like, uh, you know, so, so I just remember sitting on the hill and calling everybody I had on my phone, you know, and um, I think it was Scott Green who probably gave the best advice. He goes, uh, if you have faith in God, God will open the paths and he'll close the paths. And if the path is open, you'll know. And so that's kind of what I committed to. And I think that's what we've committed to throughout the process of, you know, for Amy's mental health journey and uh, just our life journey and the different challenges we faced is, you know, God's going to guide you through those paths, but you have to kind of let go. And I think that was where, you know, where I came to, you know, at that time, I had to just let go and trust God that, you know, our marriage is going to be uh, healthy and, and and dynamic and and fulfilling and not worry about those things. But I had to really let go of my control and stop trying to write my story and let God do it. Mm, wow. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. And, you know, I, I think it's important for people to understand too, Chris, that you, you know, you didn't step out of the full-time ministry. You've been leading the church in Spokane during this whole time. And uh, Amy, when, and maybe you could also share, Amy, when exactly you went back into the full-time ministry, but I, I would like Chris to share what that was like and how you navigated that. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. Well, I think what even got left out, I mean, there's going to be so many things left out. We could be here for a couple hours uh, talking about all the, the twists and turns, but we were actually in Phoenix leading the campus ministry when another round of this happened. Um, At the same time, we were being um, encouraged to take the job here in Spokane. And so we were negotiating, you know, contracts and moving and all this kind of stuff. And maybe had, um, you know, just kind of an episode there. And so then we were like, we took the job here and then we backed out of the job here and we were gonna stay and do campus ministry there. And, um, And then we just decided to get out of the ministry altogether to figure this out. And that was in 2013. So we moved back to Spokane. Okay, so uh, can, can, can you do me a house. favor here, Chris, for, for my sake and for the sake of the listeners? Can you give a little bit of a rough timeline, timeline? of, yeah. you know, from the time you went to Ashland to different ministry spots you've been to? Just can you give us an overview so we can kind of get a reference yeah, point? I guess let me back up. I was converted in Spokane and moved to Ashland. We were in the ministry there together uh, for about three years. Um had our son and six weeks later moved to Phoenix in 2010. He was six weeks old when we packed him in a car and went to lead the campus ministries in Phoenix, Arizona. And then we were there until about 2013 when this started um, kind of coming to fruition. And we moved back to Spokane uh, in April 2013. And we were both out of the ministry. And uh, I owned a house here. So that's why we moved back. My tenants had moved out. I had an empty house with nobody to pay rent. And so we moved back here, hoping to find work. And um, so that was kind of the, the ongoing uh, challenge was just um, navigating those things. And are we in ministry or out of ministry? And, and it wasn't long after we got back here that uh, I went back into the ministry and Amy um, 
stayed out. She was okay with me taking that job. But if I hadn't taken that job, I probably would have had to sell the house and move in with one of our parents or something. It was just not a great time and space to be looking for work. And so I went in the ministry, she stayed out. And then I can't even follow the ins and outs um, that we had. But, but about a year or so later, you went in. And then 2017 happened, you went out. And then 2020, 2019, I think Amy came back in because uh, we had some needs to meet. Or was it 2021? 2021. 2021, she came back in. And so it's just kind of been an ongoing process with that. Um, I think for me, it was, there's a couple of things that were difficult. One, I need to take care of my family. That's the first responsibility before paid ministry staff. I am a father and a husband. And then two is just kind of the stigma of, you know, mental health and navigating that as a family. And so those were the challenges. And I think the thing that I learned through the process is you have, we had to be advocates for ourselves and advocates for what God can do and not limit it to what people have experienced. Cause, um, you know, we have a lot of best practices, but that doesn't mean God can't work through new experiences. And so it's difficult to be leading on my own and try to navigate those things and bringing in, you know, collectives of, of people to help with other aspects of ministry. But it, it taught us a lot about delegating and trusting people to be Christians and um, helping them to do so. But uh, it wasn't always easy to do ministry alone. And, and, and in the context of, of how that works with our churches, it's it was new. Hmm. Amy, wow. Amy, how did you deal with the stigma? I mean, <clears throat> I mean, there are people who wrestle with with mental health, and and yet you had such a um, high profile position in the church. I'm sure there's you know everyone's looking at you, and you're wrestling with with mental health issues. I mean, what were some of the challenges that you faced, and how did you navigate it? Yeah, well, <clears throat> I think. Um, you know, as a general rule of thumb, people were pretty compassionate, I would say. Um, I'd say, yeah, the majority compassionate. Hey, we're here for you guys. We love you guys. We support you guys. What do you need? Um, you know, I think, um, you know, it was probably like maybe six months to a year that I was really not doing a lot at all with ministry, like maybe just a little bit here and there. Obviously, I was going to church and you know, would help and serve how I could, but I wasn't really like doing a, you know, women's ministry role for about six months to a year. But then as I got healthier, I was able to do a lot more and we were able to, you know, go back to pre-marriage counseling and helping, you know, marriages and helping with Bible studies and kind of stepped back into that role unpaid, <clears throat> which was great because it took off the pressure of like, you are expected to do these things. It was like, Hey, I'm just doing these things because I love God. And, you know, people are just happy with what I'm able to do. So, um, I think the real stigma came in when I wanted to go back on paid staff. Mm. Um, I only wanted to work part-time for the church just because I wanted to make sure I maintained a healthy work-life balance with, you know, knowing that mental health, like in stress really can induce, you know, mental health crisis. So I think I was like, yeah, I just want to work part-time because I was working, I was working as a nanny and doing church leading stuff. So I was like kind of feeling really stretched then. I was like, okay, I'm working as a nanny, you know, I'm trying to, you know, it was like, <laughs> it was like Chris said, you know, when he was working his full-time job here, I am like having conversations with people. I'm like nannying and like having a D time with somebody on the phone. And I'm like, okay, you know, I can't kind of keep doing all of these things well. And so I was like, I think, you know, I've been 
stable on my medication, feel like I've got a good kind of treatment plan for like four years, and I'd like to step back into a paid role part-time. And, you know, there were some people that were supportive, but then there was some real pushback on, you know, I, I mean, it's just, it wasn't done in the past in our family of churches. Like if you had mental health, it's like, you're out of the ministry, you can't do it. And so I think, you know, maybe there was pockets that were less like that, but a lot of the stories I've heard from the past were like, yeah, you had mental health. You're kind of like, nope, you're asked to step out. And so it wasn't done in the past. And I think especially, you know, bipolar disorder has a lot of stigma um, because, you know, I think even the media and places portray it, all they show is the unmedicated people who they do it's like hey let's watch this train wreck you know and it's like well yeah nobody wants to watch that but I'm like how about you just watch a really boring movie of someone who takes their pills every night and (laughs) goes to their counseling session when they're supposed to like Mm. that could be a really boring life you know but everyone wants to watch the train wreck so that's how it's portrayed which I get really irritated (laughs) when I see movies like that because I'm like we just like talk about, you know, people that just do what they need to do to take care of themselves and are able to maintain stability because it is possible. I mean, there's varying levels of severity with any mental health, but I think if you do what you need to do and stick to your treatment plan, you can really enjoy a pretty normal life in most cases. Um, So I think, you know, it was hard then to want to go and like, I'm good at ministry, you know, um, not to, you know, you are own horn or whatever, but you are, you you are, I'm I'm good at, you know, this, I don't really feel super passionate about doing anything else, you know? And so I was like, I don't want to like go start another career. I want to provide for my family, you know, (laughs) living on one income is hard. Um, especially one ministry income. So it was like, you know, I kind of need to do something to help provide for my family. And so, um, yeah, we went to the board and was like, Hey, you know, I'm kind of already doing a lot. What do you think about maybe paying me for some of those things? So (laughs) the challenging thing was nobody had a problem with what I was doing for free. But as soon as like, a paycheck got attached, she was like, you can't do that. I'm like, but I'm already doing it. Wow. Nobody's paying me to do it. You know, so that was, yeah. I mean, you're like, yeah. Hmm, yeah, that's interesting. Nobody's mm. told me no <laughs> until I asked to maybe be supported to do what I'm doing. Yeah. So mm. I'm like, this would take less, it would take less pressure off because then I don't have to work another job outside of the ministry. Right. Um. So, but yeah, it was, you know, a battle. I actually, I don't know if I should show this, but we can always delete it. <laughs> But, you know, I actually got asked um, by the board to disclose my, by one member on the board, to disclose my entire mental health history, which is an extreme violation of your privacy. You're not allowed to do that in, you know, the U.S. You're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to ask somebody to disclose their entire, entire mental health history. So that was like one thing that was like, you know, just, I was, I just felt so kind of violated and like, wow, you know, like that's really private. And I am actually very open. I talk about my mental health from the pulpit. I really feel passionate about helping people with their mental health and people really feeling like they can live fulfilled lives, even if they struggle with mental health. Cause I think people just, you know, can push aside it like, oh, you can't do this. You can't do that because of mental health. And I'm like, well, if you do what you can to take care of yourself, you can really, you know, do a lot. 
Right. Yeah, you might not be able to do everything, but you can really still do a lot and really accomplish a lot for God. So I feel very passionate about helping people. So I talk about it pretty frequently from the pulpit. Um, so, you know, it kind of felt like that was thrown back in my face. Like here I have been vulnerable rather than hiding this and not telling people about my mental health. I've been very open and vocal about it, getting help when I need to. Then to kind of feel like that was thrown back in my face, like, you need to disclose all the nitty gritty details of your mental health with, you know, a board of people that are going to decide. I'm like, nobody in their right mind would disclose all the negative things about themselves. No, exactly. No, that's exactly. not going to happen. Exactly. Yeah. It's one of those, I mean, I think it's one of those crossroads where church and, you know, business kind of meet and it gets weird. And, and I think, you know, I remember waiting for special missions contribution to come in to know if I was going to still have a job when we were in Ashland together. Right. Like mm-hmm. I'm just sitting there going, am I going to have to go get this second job? Like what's happening here? You know, just right. praying and the right. pew is, you know, people in the back counting. And it's one of those really uncomfortable crossroads yeah. of, I think, you know, just living life and having finances and the church. And it's something that until you're in the ministry and your, your paycheck is on the livelihoods of other people's faith. Um, is really difficult. And I think that's where, you know, we had to be advocates for ourselves and, and, you know, be an advocate for Amy that we can do this. It may look different. Um, and it shouldn't come at a cost of, you know, personal embarrassment or sacrifice. Like we can have faith and, you know, it wasn't necessarily like we want to hand out not to do the job, but, you know, we have to have these discussions and I think they're uncomfortable discussions because we just don't understand. Um, and so I think it was really healthy for us to go through that um, and, and just to kind of prevail through that, have have faithfulness prevail. Like, let's trust God. Right. Yeah. Uh, let's set some parameters to, to help and let's just trust God in this. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a great resolve. And I really appreciate how it kind of came to fruition. Um, you know, those unfortunate conversations, I think, just helped us. Like, I think Amy is a great advocate and she talks to lots of people, especially women in ministry who are you know, going through stuff or feeling stuff and they don't know how to navigate the, the lifestyle of it, the, the business, like it, it right. it's not a career. I, we try not to think of it as a career and like a financial thing, but it's how we keep the lights on and put food on the table. Right. right. So it gets really emotionally tied there. Right. Right? You have three and kids. Yeah. If, yeah. And, and, and if we hadn't discussed that, if we hadn't gone through that, I don't think she would have been as prepared as she's been to help people. Mm. And, I, and I think it leads to a healthier place. I think that it's helped the church and helped us too. That's awesome. Well, Amy, one, one question I have is help me out with this. Like when I think back just from you knowing that was such a catastrophic, just such an incredible loss to, to lose your dad in such a, just a horrifying way. Do you think that that's what triggered your mental health or help, help me out here. Was this something that was ongoing prior to this? Or when you look back, where do you see it as the origin of your, you know, your mental health issues? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, many mental health issues are um, kind of triggered by a traumatic event. So I would say it was probably triggered by that, but I know also mental health can, you know, have a lot of genetic, you know, components to it. So it could be like, Oh, I have a genetic predisposition towards this. And then because of the trauma, it's like triggered, if Mm. that makes sense. So I, I mean, yeah, I've thought like, gosh, if he didn't do that, would I've had, you know, this issue. And, you know, that's just one of those like 
rabbit holes you just don't need to go right. down like right. that's just what ifs but I think yeah I think for sure the stress and I think the timing of it um just because I was only 22 you know your brain isn't fully developed until you're 25 I think I was in like a really vulnerable time of even just like still technically having like an adolescent brain you know mm-hmm. that that is even more traumatic to kind of have that sort of um traumatic event to happen during that time mm. wow okay well let's just let's just change the channel i mean that's just that's yeah, heavy stuff that is and inspiring well, thank at the you same for sharing time. that know, thank yeah. you so much yes just, it's going to help a lot of people oh my gosh yeah. i just I can't imagine mm-hmm. so let's let's go back a little bit and switch the channel to ministry chris you walked onto a campus of only five thousand students and you turned that place upside down i mean when you were leaving, people were getting baptized right and left. I mean, people you, um, I mean, I think about like Brad Tomashiro, people like you started converting tons of wrestlers, tons of football players. I mean, it was just exciting. I mean, you left an amazing, amazing campus ministry that, that really provided so much uh, future ministers. I mean, Brad's leading the church in, in Hilo along with Gary Roberson. And, um, so many people have done amazing things. Danny, Danny Brown is down here. you mentioned her. Kayla went overseas to, to China. How'd you do it? I'm a small church situation. It was, can you, can you just kind of give a little flashback of what you did walking onto that situation? Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a major flashback. I'm like taken back to lots of memories when you talk about how small the campus was i literally remember having to basically sit in a coffee shop while everybody was in class because there's nobody else out and walking around everybody was literally in class and so i would just sit in the coffee shop and wait for classes to get out and then i go share my faith and i go back to coffee shop so uh, i forgot how small it was right and you kind of knew everybody um i think one of the things that in hindsight now i can look back and, and discover was I don't think the size of any space makes any difference. There's people who need to know about Jesus. And I led that mm-hmm. campus ministry. And then I went on to lead it ASU, which is like 70,000. And everywhere you go, there's, there's open people, there's people seeking. Um, they may not understand why they're seeking or how at the moment, but it didn't really matter. And so I think just being present in every place, I just put myself places. And so I just made it a point. I'm going to go to campus every day. I'm not going to stay at home. You know, if, if people are on campus, I'm on campus. And so, you know, Amy and, and, and uh, Sandra would sneak me into the dorms and I just hang out and watch football in the dorms and order pizza. And whatever guy walked by, I'd say, hey, why don't you have a seat? We're going to watch this game. Or um, so I think just injecting myself into the campus life, even though I didn't belong there. Uh, I worked at Starbucks part time. Yeah. We didn't get to that part of the story, but when Amy and I got married, she didn't want to live in the church building. I think <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> had no desire to walk to the YMCA. Yeah. That, was that, was that was a healthy was boundary. boundary. Yes, I will not marry the church building. So that's how I got a job at Starbucks, so that we could actually have an apartment and not live in the church building. But but yeah, I got the job at the Starbucks right next to campus. So college students came in. You know, local people came in. I just interjected myself. And I think even with the youth and families, like going to, you know, your guys' kids' games, you know, James' yep. games, Anne's performance, David's games, like I just resolved to be in the space where people were at. And I think that's what ministry is. That's what Jesus did. Um, yeah. I'd love to say that was my mindset then. I just didn't want to be alone, probably. That's yeah. why I was everywhere, you know, like, <laughs> hanging out, is I just didn't want to be alone in my apartment or alone in that creepy church building. So, you know, it motivated me to get out. But mm-hmm. I think if we just put ourselves in the space where people are, God yeah. will, will show us 
what's happening. And, and that's what we did. And, and the campus ministry just kind of slowly grew and it was just person by person. And we, we wouldn't, we didn't go out there trying to, we, we couldn't go out there and say, we're going to share with a thousand people that would literally be half the campus. <laughs> um, we just went out to be a part of the campus. And yeah. I remember one point we were growing persecution was starting to come and we were actually studying with, I can't remember the roles. One of them was the head of the um, housing like the director of housing and her husband was like the director of something else on campus, like prominent people. We were studying the Bible. You guys remember they were coming out yeah. of the church and we studied the Bible with them. And then they decided they didn't want to be a part of our church anymore. We we're like, okay. Uh, but persecution started to rise and people were trying to get us kicked off campus. And I remember seeing um, uh, the woman and her boss on campus. I said, Hey, this is happening. Uh, what could you tell us? Like what, what, what can we do about this? They're not true accusations. And the guy who ran the entire, he was like, he might've been the Dean just looked at me and goes, we know what your, your group's doing through this campus. We want you here. We appreciate the value you're adding because you are not just pulling people away. You are part of this community and we will defend you to the end. And I was like, wow, that's, <laughs> wow. that was probably the biggest vote of like confidence that, you know, cause this woman had come to church and she had decided not to be a part of our church and was still like, no, you guys are spreading the gospel. And so I think, it wasn't just about going out and, you know, grabbing as many people as we could. It was really being a part of the community, really being in the presence of, we were part of SOU. We were part of Ashland. We were yeah. part of Ashland High School. We we're part of the sports. And I think that's what made us really effective. And that's where people were attracted to. Yeah. And that's when you started seeing Brad and the little Toyota pickup truck with large <laughs> Samoan dudes in the back, and tank, <laughs> big bike, you know, showing up to church, you know, and uh, it's true. It family yeah. that, that really brought people out. Okay. So yeah. that, okay. What, when were you appointed as an evangelist, Chris? I can't remember. I was, yeah. it was at the it conference was a Conference in Tacoma, Washington. Amy was pregnant with Aiden. It was July or August, 2010. Okay. So I appointed you as an evangelist, which really surprised people because we were such a small church and, and yet people, I don't think people realized what a, a con, conducive environment it is to have a small church to raise up leaders. And, um, I mean, there was a lot of people, I, it's just, it blows my mind how many great people are converted in that little tiny church. I mean, you and Sandra getting baptized. I mean, you guys became so influential on church leaders. I mean, just like, it's amazing. But can you, when you look back, Chris, what helped you? I mean, we, Pam and I were training you guys at the time. Um, it, what, what was it that helped you to become an evangelist um, relatively quickly? Okay. What, what, what were we doing that when you look back, you go, that really helped me to, to grow. Yeah, I, I really appreciate you asking this question because I think it's something that's big on my heart right now in, in our fellowship and our movement of churches is we have, you guys gave me space to go make disciples and to make mistakes and to have responsibility. I wasn't just checking things off a to-do list or, you know, I didn't feel like an intern who was running errands for you guys or, you know, just working under you. Like I, I was given a piece of the the, the pie. I was given a responsibility. And I think that helped me to grow exponentially. I know a lot of guys who went into ministry. Yeah. There's ownership to the church. Yeah. And a lot of guys who went into ministry at the same time, most of which became evangelists, but took three or four more years because they just didn't have the opportunities that I had. You know, I, it was unique that I got to preach so regularly. Mm -hmm. I really refined my preaching skills. 
you know, I remember showing up the when I first moved down there and I showed up to Pam, you were out of town and I showed up to the house on old Willow Lane there where you guys lived and Rob was on his way out and he said, Hey, glad you're here. Uh, I think there's leftovers in the fridge. Uh, we'll be back later tonight. You're going to, Rob was going to his mom's house for dinner. And, uh, and I just remember, you know, basically, you know, you said the campus is just up the road. You should go check it out. And that was kind of the mindset I had. Okay. Okay. Wait a second. Hold on a second. Was this the time that I was, what was I wearing at that time? You were fully clothed at that time. Okay. Okay. That was years later when we were much closer, uh, where I dropped David off to team camp where the, yes, where the, uh, the great white hype came. Um, but, uh, but you said something. You said the campus is just up the road. You should go check it out. This was mm-hmm. when I came for like that one that's month summer. internship. Yeah. And and I just went, that's the mentality I appreciate was you said, there's the campus, go make disciples. And I remember we check in and have a lunch every Tuesday or it turned into a dinner with your family every Tuesday night. But I would go do ministry and I'd come back and I would check in with you. And it was much like what Jesus did with the disciples. Like he'd send them out and then they'd come back and report and they get excited about something and goes, that's great. But, you know, focus on this. And and that's what I did. And I think um, what made it so effective was I had ownership. I got to do stuff that I wouldn't have got to do if I was in a bigger church. And you pointed me to the, a mission field and said, go make disciples. And it was kind of a sink or swim. It's kind of that, that dad technique, just throw the kid in the pool and tell him to swim to the edge. Mm-hmm. And that helped because I had to live more by faith and not by you holding my hand. And I think that was great. It was like a safety net instead of somebody, instead of training wheels. And I think mm-hmm. That's so imperative. And I, I've tried to model that with the uh, interns that we've had or, or young ministers we've had. I'm like, there's the campus, go make disciples. I'll check in with you on, on Tuesday. We'll have lunch. Right. And because that's gotta be something where we build that personal conviction that it's my ministry and to give space and opportunity to, to be used by God was, was just so important. Mm, that's great. That's Thank powerful. you for sharing that. I mean, I, I think a lot of it has to do that you were super initiative self-motivated and and talented. I remember you coming up with ideas to reach out. I remember when you reached out to Elise Richter and you, you just came up with the idea. I'm going to go out before Thanksgiving or Halloween and you're giving out candy bars in the library. And I think you you handed one to Elise. Reverse trick or treating is what I call it. I just went and knocked on study rooms and said, trick or treat, and then threw candy in. And if somebody asked why, I knew God wanted me to share my faith with them. If they didn't ask why, I just left and they got a piece of candy. So, uh, I think two or three people asked why I was doing it. One was Elise, and she ended up coming out to church and getting baptized. Oh, that's yeah. such a, yeah. it inspired me. I, I didn't tell you to do that. I mean, I was totally on your own mind, your own dime. And you were on such a tight budget, Chris, but you, you just made it happen and mm-hmm. it inspired people and people became Christians. That was like an early preview of servant evangelism. there, doing that. Okay. So let's go back uh, to you, Amy. Um, Pam, Pam, Pam wants to ask you a question. Sure. Yeah. Amy, uh, you know, I want you to share about your family, your kids, uh, how old they are, but I know, uh, with your last pregnancy, you had some serious, uh, difficulties, um, and you nearly died delivering your last child. So could you share about that? Chris gets all the fun stories. I get all the like, <laughs> yeah, drama that's and- true. <laughs> I guess that's just my life. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So I um, have three kids. We have three kids together. Aiden is 11 and he'll be 12 um, in October. 
And then Avery, my daughter is eight and um, Adeline is just turned one. And we actually are embarking on homeschooling this year. So that's a whole nother <laughs> thing, but that's been fun so far. My heart skipped a beat when you said, and we're, oh, no, no. I was like, I know, no, I know. me not. too. I'm like, no. whoa, are we making an announcement on this podcast? I was like, whoa, <laughs> and we're, there's a long, I know, I know. I thought, Chris, I thought the same thing. I'm like, this is exciting. Oh, wow. No. Keep it going. Oh, no. no, I would oh, faint. No. It would just be, yeah. <laughs> continue your story. Yeah. I almost died last time. I don't want to like complete the task this time. So we're done having kids. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so I got diagnosed with preeclampsia around, um, I think it was 30, 30 or 33 weeks. I can't remember, uh, which is basically like dangerously high blood pressure. If anybody doesn't know what that is. So um, yeah, you can have seizures, like all sorts of stuff, but they were just monitoring it, but because of that, I had to be induced to deliver early so that they could, you know, take care of it before my blood pressure got worse. Cause it just increasingly would get higher and higher kind of each week. Um, so was all set to, you know, minus being induced, have a natural birth, you know, I'd had natural births before with my other kids and, um, did that all the way up to the end, you know, they broke my water and I had like a lot of fluid and, um, I guess her head was never fully engaged. Um, and so she got flipped around in there and, um, yeah. And so basically what was happening is I think it's called placenta previa, um, that the placenta, she was holding onto the umbilical cord. So if that detaches, you know, before, you know, your placenta is supposed to detach naturally. Otherwise you can have, um, hemorrhaging and all sorts of things. So basically the doctor's like in a matter of seconds after bursting my water and I'm thinking I'm gonna, you know, deliver this baby. I'm sorry, we have to rush you to C-section. I have to call this like immediately. And so it's just kind of panic. And then they're rushing me off, you know, like without even like really saying much to Chris or my mom who were there just rushed me off, um, to deliver the baby. And then, you know, mask goes on. And I mean, literally I'm terrified. I, the last thing I remember thinking is like, God, please don't let me die. My other kid, you know, my kids need me. Obviously <laughs> I feel bad, like not saying that Chris needs me, but I'm like, he'll be fine. <laughs> I'm really thinking like, Oh my gosh, you know, especially even just the way I lost my dad, like you don't want, you know, your kids to experience losing a parent, you know, that young, so traumatic. So I was like, God, please don't take me. And then, yep. Out black. Um, so apparently I did lose a lot of blood during that. Um, my daughter, Adeline was, um, not breathing when she was born. So they had to, you know, I don't know if they, you know, put a mask on her, whatever, got her breathing, but she wasn't breathing. And then I did, yeah, lose a lot of blood, but made it out <laughs> alive. Um, it wasn't until later that we realized how much blood I had lost. And I was basically like running around the hospital. My daughter was in NICU because she had jaundice really bad. Um, and so I was like running around trying to, you know, bond and nurse and all these different things. And apparently I had like no blood in my body. They realized that I needed two units of blood a few days after. I don't know how many days. It was a couple of days you after. Received, I, you received two, two, 
two in units hindsight, of blood. they said you probably could have taken three units. Yeah. That's so, how. That yeah. So be. I had like very little blood. How, how much? How much is a that. unit? Like what a unit? Like a pint? Like a full bag? Okay. Wow. Um, wow. So, I mean, the nurse, the nurses, and the, it, it, so the nurse was kind of like, I think she, you might need blood. She said that on like the day yeah, after. I was like really pale. And it wasn't until the resident came down and reviewed all the files and, and, and rushed a transfusion. Um, he was very, very concerned with how low uh, her, her how, how little blood she was operating on. And so, so they basically said that she was running on adrenaline, just pure mom adrenaline. And her body was working like triple time. Just oh my gosh! How, how much blood? Her and Adeline were on different floors, um, and so it was just this constant uh, yeah. back and forth. So yeah, that so, was the second time she almost died. The fact she had no blood in her system. Yeah, and then um, I ended up getting discharged. You know, we you know everything looked good after the transfusion. I had to stay a couple more days. I was still visiting Addie, but. They were able to put us in kind of a mommy and me unit, but I wasn't the patient anymore. I was just there kind of able to take care of her. And then nurses would check on her to make sure she was getting the light therapy she needed for jaundice. Um, but anyways, my legs swole up. One of my legs swole up really big. And so I was worried I had a blood clot because one was bigger than the other. So I went back over to the you know maternal unit to get that checked out. And it wasn't that, but when they, you know, they're like, oh no, you're good on blood clots, but actually your blood pressure is really scary high again. And we need to admit you immediately and get you on blood pressure medication. So, you know, I feel like it was God, you know, that I was, I would have never thought like my blood pressure. I'm like, Hey, that's, you know, postpartum preeclampsia is very, very rare. Like preeclampsia, pretty rare postpartum is like very rare. So I didn't even think like, Oh, I should probably keep an eye on my blood pressure. And nobody told me to keep checking it. Um, so they rushed me in and started giving me medication. Um, but yeah, that's, you know, I just feel like by the grace of God, that was caught, you know, cause you can have seizures. It, you can have like severe stroke. brain stroke, brain damage, like all sorts of things, um, from having, <clears throat> you know, that high blood pressure. So by the grace of God, wow. I was readmitted and on blood pressure medication and was able to, you know, keep bonding with Adeline. And then, yeah, eventually by the time we got out of the hospital, we had been there for eight days, you know, thinking we had told our kids, we'll see, see you tomorrow. You tomorrow oh, yeah. baby. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, and gosh. you know, they're kind of terrified. They're sad about, you know, their baby sister being admitted. And then we had to call them and be like, now mommy is really sick. And you know, my son yeah. shares later that he was really scared that, yeah. you know, I wasn't healthy. And, well, and that's in part because, you know, we're, we're not just like, Hey, let's start a second family. You know, this huge gap between our second yeah. child and our third, we had a late term miscarriage that the kids were they were at that point where we were supposed to find out if they were having a brother or sister and they found out that the baby had died mm. at like 15 or, or 16 18 weeks, weeks, 18 weeks. And um, so they'd already gone through that trauma once. And so now mom goes in the hospital and doesn't come back. Baby sister's in the hospital and isn't coming back. And so they've been through it too. You know, mm. um, it was, we were in nine different rooms on four different floors. Like I know parts of that hospital that I never knew existed. People probably don't know existed. I saw it. I've seen it all uh, just wandering around uh, through the nights, but it was very much, um, you know, just a constant uh, time of, of faith and challenge. And it was during COVID. So nobody else was allowed to come visit us. 
um, could, her mom left the next morning and never got to come back. And uh, luckily, a few disciples worked there, and there's a little bit of re respite for me to get to meet people um, and, and have some wow. sharing. But otherwise, we were locked in the hospital and couldn't couldn't really do much. Yeah, we spent our anniversary in yep. a room, and Chris joked it was like you had a view of the city. He's yeah. like, "Hey, honey, I got you a <laughs> million dollar view <laughs> for our anniversary." <laughs> Oh my gosh. We kept our humor. I think that's another thing we do through all of our trauma. We keep our humor. You know, we laugh. That's right. You know, even in the midst of the, the trials, we well, like to laugh. And So Chris, let's go ahead and, and turn our attention to you. You've really been going after study and teaching. Can you explain what and exactly why? I mean, you've really dug into it. Yeah, I think when I was referencing earlier about going into the ministry, uh, there was a drive that was fueled by kind of like what my passions were and what I saw the needs were. And so that's what led me into being uh, pursuing evangelist, being an evangelist and going into the ministry that way. And I just kind of felt like as I'm, you know, looking at the landscape of our, you know, family of churches and my church. And um, one of the things I just kept noticing was people have been Christians for 20, 25, 30 years, just, just walking away from the faith. Um, sometimes disenchanted, sometimes disillusioned, uh, but oftentimes they just didn't have answers to some deeper theological questions. And then they turn to the world or they turn to other teaching sources and then they're being like left guided away and uh, lured away from, from the fellowship. And, and so it just kind of marked something in me that said, ah, there's a need here. And, um, you know, I think going back to being an intern, I, Rob gave me a lot of books to read. Uh, every year I had to read a, a, a long list of books and I just became an avid reader and I just felt like I could really digest stuff very quickly and then reverbalize it. And I'm not too swayed by, um, differing opinions left or right or conservative or progressive. And I could just kind of see, uh, kind of a line through the middle and just felt like it was really guiding me. So a number of years, about four years ago now, I entered a program, got a master's in religious education. Uh, from Rochester University with a cohort of other ICOC ministers. It was a great time, uh, really bonding time. I think it was unfair for the other professors that we had because I had John Oakes in my cohort. Um, so uh, it always felt like we were playing two-on-one or three-on-one against them. But um, So that was a great time. Then I felt like I, I want to continue to pursue it. So now I'm on a track to um, someday maybe get a PhD. Right now I'm in a Master's of Theology, which is kind of a next step uh, in academia. And... Um, so yeah, I've got aspirations to uh, teach more in the Northwest. I've been doing teaching workshops uh, in the churches here and for the ministers uh, throughout the Northwest family of churches. I've uh, taught at the teachers conference a couple of times. And my long-term goal is to find a way to branch into academia, uh, teach collegiately um, for a couple of reasons. One, I want to bring the ICOC story and teaching into academia, but also um, just to financially free up the church. If I can make some money, uh, teaching in academia that frees up funds that we can hire more young ministers. And so it gives me kind of a, a transitional, you know, uh, tent maker type thing that makes me a lot more flexible. So that's, that's, what's driving me. I just feel like there's a huge need. I feel like I'm able to handle the load and uh, want to be able to share that with our family of churches. Mm -hmm. such, wow. such a awesome. big issue. I mean, I, I've noticed that too. I've noticed older disciples, friends walking away and, you know, I was just reading the scripture this morning where it said, hey, your, your salvation is, is closer than it was at the beginning. And it just, you know, makes you 
makes you really go, hey, I, I've got to, sh- you know, sharpen up here. But there's so much going against you. I mean, there's just a ton. What, I mean, what, have you learned anything that could help a, a <laughs> disciple that's been around 10, 10, 20, 30, 40 years? Yeah, I think the number one thing is um, to learn that, that God is expansive. Like we don't come to a full understanding of God. You can't control scripture. You can't control God. We're on, we're on a quest of discovery. I think sometimes we forget that we get baptized and we feel like we've reached the culmination. Um, and we forget that baptism is kind of like your wedding day. There's a long time of discovery. You, you discover more about your spouse as the years go on. Uh, and I think we stop learning about God and stop learning about ourselves and in the presence of God. And sometimes we can oversimplify scriptures down to just one practical uh, and then it loses its depth and meaning. And so I think for the, the Christian who's kind of going through that, um, I would say that there's, there's more to God than you already know. And there's more to your relationship with God than you already know. And I, the other thing I urge people to do is just slow down. There's so much information. There's so many resources being thrown out there. And I, it's frustrating because a lot of it's just marketed garbage. It's just consumeristic. Like you have people producing three or four books a year and podcasts and everything else. And it, it's just consumerism. And if we just slow down, and attune ourselves to the scriptures and study and, and really just let ourselves be in, in a relationship with God. I think it helps us to grow. And, um, and that's just t- challenging because we want answers now. And if we've oversimplified scripture or we oversimplified our relationship, then we want some resolution to that. But my, my biggest encouragement is just patience and, and slowing down and, and really discovering what God might be leading you into mm. from where you're at. Mm. Mm. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I recently read a book, um, actually a series of books by a guy named Nicholas Taleb, and he wrote the book called The Black Swan. And in it, he talks a lot about how we have such a bias towards what things that are new, books that are new. And we forget that if a book is older, if it's 500, you know, thousand years or like the Bible, a couple thousand years old, it, it shows that it's stood the test of time. I mean, it's, it's has incredible exponential value. And he just said, you know, you really have to go back toward the older books and dig into them. And I think about, you know, I've got, I've got a short list of books that I go to over and over again. In fact, a book that I keep reading that I've literally worn out the cover of multiple copies is The Imitation of Christ. Mm-hmm. I mean, I read that, I read it this morning and I was just like, I read one sentence and I was convicted, you know, just instant conviction, like, oh my gosh, I got to <laughs> shape up, you know, it just was really <laughs> heart level convicting. Yeah. Um, but I hear what you're saying there. Has there been anything you've read re- recently, old or new, that has helped you has inspired you moved you uh anything that you'd recommend you go hey this is a this is a really good book to read that's a loaded question i know Uh, it's it's not a test put it in the comment section sure um i've just been reading i I read about five books a month so i'm usually in a few at the same time but I, i i i don't have anything off the top of my head but i think i would agree balancing out new with old you know, and, and I try to balance that out. I'll read something that's newer, but then I try to read something that's at least, you know, 50 to 100 years or more old because it does stand the test of time. And I think it also displays the work of the spirit through time of what's constantly being said through 
Christian experience, you know. Yeah. So if you're reading something that was written 2,000 years ago and 1,000 years ago, 500 years ago, and it's constant, then the Holy Spirit's probably working through that. But yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I don't, I don't. It's hard to say which books have really stood out to me right now. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, we'll put it in the put it in the notes. Yeah, I can think of anything. So you know, there's been. I mean, I, thinking about your, your guys's life, there's a lot been a lot of challenges, a lot of testing. God has really been working in your life in a powerful way. But it hasn't all been challenging. You recently acquired a building. Can you talk mm-hmm. a little bit about that? It's beautiful. I got to see it. You did? Yeah, I did. I was up in Spokane. I got the tour. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Yeah. You'll have to go. Yeah, we'll have to bring you up. Uh, yeah, so we, um, we've we kind of been wandering for the 20 years. The church here just celebrated their 20th anniversary. Um, I came back in 2013 to, to help lead the church. And so we've just kind of bounced around from building to building. We've been in five different locations until now. Uh, kind of the traditional way of going about it. We've had some nice opportunities where people have uh, rented us spaces uh, that worked really well. But through that time, we just really frugal. I felt like my conviction is um, to spend when I really feel like there's something to spend on and then to hold back when there's not. So we've just always been in the black. We have a very generous church, a uh, consistent giving church. And so that frugality and kind of spending where we see God working and then holding back and not just spending for the sake of spending, put us in a great position. We had, you know, quite a bit of money saved up and we had a a donor offer to match uh, what we need for a building. So we spent four years, five years looking uh, at buildings, at land, at everything. We had six different real estate agents just out there looking for us. I spent one day in an office going through 47 commercial properties and ranking them on a scale of yes, maybe, and no uh, for like two hours with a real estate agent. And finally, I think God just kind of found the spot or waited for the spot. And so we now um, have nine acres uh, on what's called a uh, Qualchan Creek and it goes right through uh, downtown. So we're three miles from the downtown corridor like direct downtown we're three miles away but you would never know it we're surrounded by trees and a creek and we have moose walking through and beavers walking through and you know wildlife's one of our biggest challenges right now uh and it's been great you know we um we got it for almost half the asking price and uh paid cash and the church uh is falling in love with it i think it's been a great experience um one of the things that really compelled me to to buy a church building and it was we've got a lot of people whose gifts and talents um, weren't necessarily being uh, used to their fullness. There's a lot of hardworking people who like to work with their hands and feel like they're contributing. And, um, and since we bought this place, I mean, people come out of the, literally out of the woodwork to do woodwork. Uh, <laughs> and back to back weekends, handrails got replaced on our, our, our main building. And now our beautiful stained wood, like redwood and mahogany. And I mean, it's incredible. Like people are just outdoing each other and giving. It reminds me of a lot when they were building the tabernacle in Exodus. And they, we had to tell people, okay, slow down. Right. You know? right. So everybody's just all hands on deck. And we've seen a great attendance increase uh, from people just coming from the website or seeing our sign on the highway and just pulling in. Uh, and even the old church website from the church we bought it from still on there. And they, they'll come to see that church and end up coming to our church. So it's been a great experience and it's such a peaceful place that we hope to really use um, just for God's glory and, and to gather and, and to meet. In the face, in the face, I mean, in the face of the challenges that you guys have faced, I mean, obviously like 
there's been suicide, there's been mental health challenges, there's been, you know, all sorts of difficulties. How, how do you keep your, your eyes on God and keep, keep in view a good God and keep a, a positive, faithful mindset rather than, uh, you know, I've seen a number of people just become very bitter. And uh, that's certainly not you guys. You guys are some of the most, I mean, if, if there's a couple that I want to go to just to have a laugh and, and just have an encouraging, fun time, it's definitely you guys. I mean, <laughs> we love spending time with you guys for sure. How, how do you keep that faithful mindset? Um, I think for me, it's just hope, you know, I mean, scripture just talks so richly about hope and how it doesn't disappoint us. And, um, I think it's just so important when you're in the midst of hard times to maintain hope that God still has good things in store for you. Mm -hmm. Even if that's not what you're currently going through, um, the hope that good days are around the corner, you know, I think yeah, trials come and they, you know, it's like scripture talks about, you know, you're being thrown into the, I was just reading that in my quiet time the other day, you know, the gold being refined, you got to get rid of the, you know, the impure stuff that is in all of us and that trials really do refine. And so I think, but just maintaining hope, you know, I think in the midst of some of my mental health challenges, I'm like, you know, I've always gotten better, even mm. though it's really bad right now. Mm. It's never stayed this way forever. Mm. It's always improved. It just takes time. Mm. And so I think just maintaining that hope and trying to, you know, really force yourself to retrain your brain to think positively and hopeful. Yeah. That's yeah, great. I, I, when you ask that question, I immediately went to um, Peter's response to Jesus when he turns around after everybody leaves and he goes, do you guys want to leave too? And Peter responds, where would we go? Mm-hmm. We know you are the Messiah. We know you are the, the son of God. And, and that's just kind of where I go. I have a very active imagination. Like I get lost <laughs> up in my head. I joke with my church. There's lots of voices up there. <laughs> yeah. They're all saying a lot of things. <laughs> uh, when I'm preaching, I'm mm. preaching the sermon out my mouth, but there's a whole nother sermon going on in my head. And, uh, so that active imagination, I kind of play out scenarios. Like what would it look like if I walked away? What would mm. it look like? You know, I try to project what would happen in my life based on, you know, the things you learn in studying the Bible with people right. who are Im- immersed in the world, you see what the world does to people. You see yeah. what it, life is like without God. Mm-hmm. And you start just to apply those things. And, and at the end of the day, I just go, man, where, where would I go? Right. Uh, you right. know, I have found the living God. Um, and I think that's what keeps you faithful. Yeah. Is it, there isn't anything better. And to go through these challenges, Amy would still have health challenges. We all have health challenges. Mm-hmm. People pass away. Um, hardships come, financial hardships come. Do you want to do this with God or without God? Right. And I think that's the question where I go, absolutely. Yeah. I want to do it with the living God and creator, not yeah. on my own right. or relying on purely human effort. Right. That's great. All right. So with all those voices in your head, I, I need to ask, where do you see yourself in five years? What are those voices telling you? God, that's a... Uh, <laughs> We, we joked that we might have completely different where we want to be. <laughs> of course. Well, that, that's to be expected. That's why you each have to share. Yeah, write, it on a, write it on a whiteboard and all of a sudden show it at the same time. Like yeah, there you go. That'd be fun. Yeah, I, I want to hear. It turned into a pre-marriage or marriage counseling. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, I, 
Amy's vision I can share would be in this home, raising our kids in the Spokane Christian church until the day we die. Um, <laughs> she's got a plot ready out back. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, um, but you know, I think in five years I'll have graduated with this MTH degree and be kind of plotting my course to a PhD. That's where I see myself in five years. And, and I think sticking with the church, I think this is a great space and there's a great need, um, for, for, to work in the Northwest, you know, especially in that teaching role. And so kind of making this a home base uh, for a teaching ministry. I've, I've got the nonprofit set up for the Northwest Academy of Ministry and Missions. And so launching that and kind of making this home base for that is kind of where I see it. And it's scary to say, Pam, because five years from now, our son will be preparing to graduate high school. Wow. So I'm going to not think too much further on that. Um, <laughs> I just kind of hold back, but I don't know what your ideas are. The U of A, man, come on down. <laughs> we'll trade you one of yours for one of ours. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think just, you know, as a mom, I think my hope is to see my kids really grow in their interest for, um, you know, hopefully becoming Christians themselves, or at least being interested and involved in our church. And I think just on that note, I think one of the things we've really been investing in in our church is really the youth ministry. We really know that it's something that encourages, you know, obviously parents want their kids to become Christian. Nothing either greater encourages them or discourages them if they don't, you know, make it or don't make that decision at that point. So, um, you know, I really want to see our church have a thriving youth and family ministry where kids want to become Christians and that it's attractive. So, um, I think that's kind of more of a church goal, but yeah, I think personally as a mom, I really want to see my kids really active in our youth ministry, really love God, really love the church and, um, be hopefully on their way to wanting to pursue a relationship with mm-hmm. God. Mm-hmm. That's great. A lot to look forward to. Amy, what, what would you give? What advice would you give to a person who has faced trauma? They've, they've faced difficulties. They've faced maybe me- mental health challenges and still wants to make this life count. What, what advice would you give to them? I think, um, you know, just again, I think just not giving up hope. You know, I've, you know, taught different lessons on mental health and, you know, what do you do? And I think a lot of times people will, um, discourage people from pursuing their dreams. Like, oh, you can't do that because you have this mental health thing or that mental health thing. Um, but, you know, even if your dreams have to shift a little bit, that you don't stop dreaming and having vision for your life of like, what could this look like? You know, maybe the vision that you had for your life is different now with having a mental health struggle, but what do you, how do you think God could use that? And how do you think God can continue to use you? Cause I think it's just so important. That hope is so important. If you feel like, Oh, I have nothing, you know, Oh, my dreams are dashed. Well, now it's time to come up with new dreams of what your future could look like because it doesn't have to, you know, I guess it doesn't have to ruin your life. <laughs> that sounds dramatic, but you know, a lot of people feel like, Oh, my life's over. You know, I have this major mental health thing. What am I going to, I can't do these things I wanted to do, but what can you do? And just really having vision and dreams for your life and, you know, trying to block out some of the negative, like to find those positive people that are going to encourage you in those dreams and really, build you up and lift you up and help you achieve those things. And, and just honestly, to kind of 
not listen to the negativity. Like you can't do that because of this, that, or the other, but to mm. really find positive people that are going to encourage you to keep fighting to dream and have vision for your life. That's mm. awesome. That's great. Chris, what advice would you give to a person who wants to make this life count? Like, I think just explore what God's calling you into. I think sometimes we try to write our fairy tale or write our story and God's the author, God's the creator. And I would have never imagined my story going the way it has. Uh, It's had lots of highs and lots of lows. Um, But the more I'm learning to discover what God's calling me into, uh, it's not always easy. Nobody in scripture (laughs) seems to have the perfectly easy time. Uh, We follow a crucified um, Messiah and Savior. So, um, but that's the better story. And I think our lives mean more when they have that level of sacrifice and devotion and, and surrender to what God's uh, leading it, leading us into. And I, I tend to feel like I'm on the path and in the work with God when the future seems scary and uncertain, but I still feel confident. Mm. That's how I felt going to Ashland, quitting my job and living in a church building. That's how I feel now. Um, pushing into academia and wading through crazy theology and good theology and trying to help the church. And uh, there's an uncertain future that I'm working through confidently because I feel like God's with me in it. Mm. Um, And I think that's how you know you're living that life is when you're kind of in that tension point of certainty and uncertainty. That's where you have to live by faith. Mm. That's great. It's been so good to talk to you guys. I, I love just being with you guys. You guys are some of our very closest friends, and we're so proud. I know yeah. that sounds funny, but we're so proud of you and your growth and what you're doing for God and and inspired by all that you've overcome and are faithful and leading the way. And I know our son James is up there visiting because you studied the Bible with James and, and baptized him, which is so awesome. And you are our teen minister. And now James is spending time with your son, which is, it's an awesome. uh, He's actually literally babysitting our one-year-old right now. (laughs) (laughs) Of course he is. Thank you, James. Yeah. (laughs) And of course, you know, you didn't mention that, you know, our only daughter, Anne, got married in December and, you know, she wanted you guys to do, her and Felipe mm-hmm. wanted you guys to do their pre-marriage counseling mm-hmm. and you came and, and you were the minister that married them. I mean, how special is that? You know, Rob marries you guys. James is part of your wedding. And um, did, Now, did you study the Bible with Anne back in the day? I did like character studies with her. She was too young when I was there. Okay. But, but do you yeah, remember Anne jumped in when, when Amy became a Christian? Don't you remember? Anne had to be in the water to too. To <laughs> she was like, can I be in the water when she gets baptized? I think the answer was the... no. And she just kind of, <laughs> 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 she was like, right. In the She's not ready to, you know, help. <laughs> <laughs> baptize herself. But oh, well, it's yeah, pretty cool. Gosh. You did get baptized in the same place, I right? Know. The same I reservoir, right? So it's awesome. Great, great memories. And I know there are many, many great memories in the future. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your faithfulness to God. Really appreciate the time. Love you guys. Yes. Love you so much. Thanks guys. Thank you so much for joining the Rob Skinner podcast. If you're enjoying this podcast, please hit the subscribe button and let your friends know about it and how to find it. Because my goal is to inspire you to make this life count, live a no regrets life and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Have a great day and make this life count.